Are you looking for the spot to kick back, relax, and talk all things Southern Miss? Well, you're in the right place. No need for the calculator here, Poindexter. We're average Joes who are passionate fans. This is for Southern Miss fans by Southern Miss fans. Welcome to the Everyday Eagles Podcast. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Everyday Eagle Podcast, where we continue to talk to some Southern Miss greats and where are they now. Um, I want to introduce my, well, I'm not going to call him a teddy bear because I got some uh, made fun of a little bit last week for calling him that, but I'm going to introduce Mr. Lane Brady. What's up, Lane? What's up, man? Yeah, guys, Chuck got a little backlash from the uh, teddy bear comment. I did. our group message after last and, week. And, completely honest like i have no idea where it came like i've never called you a teddy bear before i have i, I, I may have been watching tv and a teddy bear. i don't even know what happened but it just caught me well, off guard i was like this it, dude just called me a teddy bear i think we called a lot i called myself off guard so that's that's a yeah well but, uh, i'm good yeah. man you having a good week i am i am uh, ready for this guest man you, you you got us a good one. Oh yeah man i've known uh our guest tonight's luke johnson I've known Luke for a long time. Uh, I knew Luke back whenever he was playing, and um, you know, Luke he was a he was a great football player for Southern Miss. He's done a lot since then. Uh, we got a lot to unpack tonight. Namely, he's pretty much dominating a fantasy baseball league that you and I are in with him. Uh, Chuck. I, so yes, I, I keep trying to trade a player for him, but he just won't accept the trade. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Luke, you with us, man? Yeah, it, your your listeners need to know that um, <laughs> Chuck has never never watched baseball ever. He actual he he actually wanted to trade. He wanted so the first two make sense. He wanted you Darvish and ha- Javier Baez, and I had put another player in there. He takes out the third player and inserts Shohei Otani, <laughs> and wants all three of those guys for Bobby Wood Jr. And I'm just like. Whatever, dude. Hey, aim, <laughs> yeah, so, aim for the stars, so, man. The hitters always know yeah, to And, and what people don't know is, is is Lane is the one that put him up to it. So um, the brain trust of this podcast regarding fantasy baseball. And, and by the way, let me just start off by throwing people under the bus. Lane Brady is the last person to ever ask about uh, fantasy trades because he will agree to them in principle over text message. And then he will go on the website five minutes later and reject the trade. So, thank you. Good evening to you guys. <laughs> Welcome to the <laughs> show, Luke. <laughs> Boy, he's go. He chose violence to start. He did. Show. He's coming out swinging. <laughs> but what's crazy is he's actually a hundred percent like being truthful there. He I've is being truthful multiple times and done that to other people in our league. And, and so what happened today was. What happened today was Chuck goes on our Facebook fantasy uh, baseball league page and puts the trade proposal out for everybody to nitpick it. So there will probably be no trades that come out, but let's not talk we fantasy talk. baseball. Hey, <laughs> we might could work something out, man. We might could work something out. The best part was it was an individual message with Chuck and me asking <laughs> – what should I like? What who else should I throw in there with these two guys for Bobby Witt? And I was like, "Hey man, he's gonna say no and make fun of me, but throw Shohei in there and see what so he does." <laughs> and instantly, yeah. 
It was fun. I got what I wanted out of it. That was a good time. I think I responded back to that message. Are you? Uh, out you of you did. That's and that's how. And we... I said my shrink says no. So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, guys, we got we got a lot to talk about tonight. Some we do. good stuff from Luke. Uh, I think Chuck's going to start us out with the first two questions that we always ask our guests, and then I'll come in after that. So go ahead, Chuck. Absolutely. Luke, the first time or first thing we usually ask our guests is, you know, why Southern Miss? Why did you pick Southern Miss? I had, and by the way, it is good to, to mess with you guys and to have fun on here. And I appreciate the invite very much. Love talking Southern Miss. And I was, I was blessed to be able to, um, to really cheer for my, my childhood team. I mean, for, for me, Southern Miss and Luke Johnson are, are inseparable. I was, my parents both graduated from university, and I probably – I was born in the spring, so I bet my first fall in 1983, like, I was at a game. And, and so growing up, you know, learning about things like uh, the Nasty Bunch and in the late 80s when I really started learning Southern Miss football, um, you know, just – it was tradition for us to, to go. In 1990, I was a Junior Eagle, and I got my Junior Eagle T-shirt, and, of course, that was Favre's senior year, and so – Favre signed it. A bunch of other guys signed it. And from 1990, when I was seven years old, until I was a senior in high school in 2001, um, I got that shirt signed. And uh, I'm, everybody that you could ever think of playing Southern Miss in that time period signed that shirt. Wow. I think even Mitch Williams signed it from WDAM. But yeah, I was um, I was a, uh, a Southern Miss Eagle through and through growing up. Uh, you know, around friends that were Bulldogs and Rebels. But yeah, so. Um, when I got high school, uh, my senior year, I, you know, I had the recruiting. Uh, you had people reaching out to you and stuff. I tore my ACL my second game of my senior year playing quarterback at West Jones. And I think Mississippi State was there that night to, to, to watch. And, you know, I, I thought my, my college career was kind of derailed. So I had a few options. Uh, I could have played football and baseball at Jones. Um, Mississippi College uh, had offered me a big leadership um, scholarship, and they wanted me to play tight end and, and punt. And then – Actually, I had a great opportunity to go to the Naval Academy. Um, I had, an, a, I had a, a possible appointment. Uh, I talked to their football staff. They wanted me to come kick and punt. And ultimately, I chose to, to walk on at Southern Miss. And, um, yeah, and, and I guess one of the reasons I did it, I, I, I remember talking to a guy I respected in ministry. and Because I, I was going in ministry, I kind of had this you know guilt trip. I need to go to a Christian college or whatever. And, and he just kind of made the comment, and he said, he said, well, you know, who's going to who's gonna testify, you know, and, and share about Christ, you know, outside of private schools? And I, I started praying through mm-hmm. that and, and got, just got this freedom. And, man, I walked on to Southern Miss in fall of 2001, you know, on a Jeff Bauer football team. And we are glad you did, man. I'm glad you didn't go to that other school up north. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, well, our second question is, what is your all-time favorite Southern Miss moment? It can be from when you're playing or, or, or just as a casual fan, but either one, man. Um, so, so let me cheat. There, there's a couple, um, and, and you kind of think of them like in this, how on my mind works, I think chronologically through the games, um, in, in 2003, without a doubt, the, the TCU game, when we tore down the goalposts and, and, uh, we at least want to share a conference USA, it was a Thursday night ESPN game. A, a lot of people forget even that season, like Tarico, Corso and Herb Street, Covered three of our games. We played on ESPN Thursday night three times wow. that year. UAB at UAB, then Nebraska came, and then the TCU game. There were actually like Orange Bowl reps on the sidelines during pregame when we were out there. And 
man, to beat those guys and uh, in doing so, robbing Conference USA of $13 million. <laughs> you know, um, we didn't think about that till later, but that was huge. Um, in 04, beating Nebraska at Nebraska. And, uh, you know, we were, I was getting ready to soak Coach Bauer with a, with, with a cooler and, and, uh, they came up and they said, don't, don't pour, don't pour Powerade on coach. He doesn't want that. And so we didn't understand it. And right after, right after the game, we were jumping up and down and coach Bauer started saying, he said, act like you were supposed to win. Act like, act like we were supposed to win the whole time. <laughs> like he didn't want us just going yeah. crazy. Like it was an upset. Um, and then probably the one that, that tops it the most is my senior, my last game at the Rock, Tulane. Um, I proposed to to my wife now of sixteen years, but but Coach Bauer grabbed me and he said, "Don't do it until I get over there. I have to go shake Tulane coach's you know hand." Yeah. And so I, they uh, we had it set up with a, a mic and the TV and you know it was up on the the uh, scoreboard and my, all my teammates got around me you know when I when I when I asked the question. So so some of them. The moments that you don't remember mm-hmm. and that you probably miss the most are, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. in Van Hall eating pancakes down there in the, the training table and, you know, just, just hanging with the dudes, yeah. man, uh, in the dorm um, throughout the year. Because that's what you, you miss. You miss the brotherhood more than anything. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I remember we're, we're going to unpack some more about that proposal uh, and about – about some of those games you mentioned, but we're going to unpack the proposal here in a little bit. We had a listener question about it, and then I had a question about it. I was there at the game, uh, so I remember all that. So, um, All right, the next question we'd like to ask all our guests is, what did you major in? So I was a business administration guy, lived in Green Hall before they had the really nice, I think it's Sienna Hall now, but yeah, business administration. All right, cool. And and now what are you doing now? What are you up to? So um, I was doing it when when I was in college, but for really the last 20 years, I have have traveled and and preached and and, uh, speak in lots of venues, lots of events for churches and camps and and all kinds of stuff, schools. I've done that. Um, Presently, I'm on staff at, at Cross Point Church. Uh, in Laurel, I'm a co- I'm, I, I co-lead a, uh, the church with, with Justin Holdfield. My, my official title is equipping pastor. And then for really the last 12 years, um, you know this lane, I, I travel back and forth from India uh, and serve as a short-term, uh, do short-term work there, helping pastors, equipping pastors. We travel in the Himalayas. Um, we, we hike to unreached villages. We, we take care of, of orphans and, and widows and, wow. and uh, work with all kinds of, of stuff, great stuff. Got a partner in Myanmar as well. Uh, so do that. Also um, co-host uh, the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Mississippi. And uh, give you give you guys a big shout-out tomorrow um, on uh, on the Eagle Hour. Um, yeah, and uh, currently right now working on a, a Ph.D., a Doctor of Philosophy in International Missiology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. So uh, just a little bit going on. Yeah, you got just, just a few just things a on your plate right now, huh? <laughs> just a, a little bit. That's uh, awesome, so, though, man. So I was thinking about this earlier, Luke, and, and we'll talk more. I, I definitely want to talk more about your ministry, too, uh, later in the show. I, I know I personally have a few questions about it, too. I want, want to give you a platform to get to talk about it a little bit. Um I was thinking about this before we came on air and I guess in introducing Luke Johnson, 
one of the biggest things I could say, and I think you would agree with it, or at least say this is what you want, Luke, is I think Luke Johnson is, is that Southern Miss player who was a great player, but will be no more for what he did for things he did off the field than what he did on the field. You know, and I say that because of your ministry and because of just the person you are and the person I know you to be and all that. And I just, um, you know, I appreciate all the stuff you do and, and respect the heck out of you for it, man. And I think our fan base, the people who know you, I think they know you more for the person you are than for the stuff you did on the field. And I think you would want it that way, right? Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate those comments, Lane. It means a lot. And, yeah, I mean, the, the joke is is that, you know, we have to remind people that punters are people too. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I was, you know, I was one of those guys where I, I knew that I wasn't like everybody. I remember the freshman year at Southern Miss, uh, Neil Mead, who, who now is the director of operations of, of events at, at, at Ole Miss and does an incredible job up there. We, we came in together and he's out of Collins High School. He's 6'5, 330. And we were in the commons and they were serving like chicken tenders. And I got four tenders and, and Neil got, got uh, 20. And, uh, and so I knew at that moment, he's an offensive lineman. I knew at that moment <laughs> there was a difference between me and some of my teammates. But I, I wanted guys, I wanted guys to respect me for my craft. And, um, I remember one time at TCU, this is in 04. Uh, we're, we're, I'm kicking off. Uh, their return guy runs to the sidelines. He breaks a couple, so it's me and him. And I lower my head and, and drop the boom on him. And uh, their penalty flag comes out, and I'm jogging across the field. And the referee's, you know, on the mic, and he goes, "Personal foul, helmet to helmet, number seventeen on on uh, the visiting team." And I remember one of our offense or one of our defensive linemen was jogging out. He's like. The penalty was on who? He said, that's our kicker. Like, that's our <laughs> kicker. You can't do that. But, you know, in, in meetings later on, Coach Bauer said, oh, it was a good hit. You know, guys guys appreciated – they respected what you did on the field. Um, and and while they knew that in some ways they did more than you, they, they appreciated what you brought to the table. But, yeah, to your point, Lane, um, I guess sometimes at Southern Miss, this may sound crazy to some people, but sometimes I forgot that I was a football player. Like, you know, you'd be going through the day, oh, yeah, I got to go practice today, you know. Yeah. And I was thankful that the Lord never let my own field identity, like, swallow me um, so that if I had a bad game, I could shake it off, you know, and, and um, you know, have some perspective on it. We we had a great interview with Danny Lynch a few weeks ago. Same thing, you know, just, hey, if I go over four, I can shake it off, come back the next day. So I, I was thankful that I was a college football player, but it did not define me. And so I think that the Lord allowed that in my life to be able to liberate me so that some of the things I did off the field, you know, people would remember me rather than just kicking a ball. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Good deal. Well, Chuck, I think I think Chuck's going to lead us off with some fan questions, Luke. We had a few listeners send some questions. Are they fan, fan questions or are they listener questions? Because I, I saw one one place uh, where y'all you guys posted in the online forum. Hey, we got questions for Luke Johnson, and somebody said, "Who is that?" So <laughs> <laughs> I actually I actually think they put an owl and said, "Who?" <laughs> there you go. Yeah. He knew, he knew, he knows who you are. He knows who you are. Well, the fir- the first question I've got is actually from, it's the same question from two people, James Blake and Chip, 
and Corey Moore. And they both kind of want to know uh, what was going through your head when you were trying to chase down the uh, cow player after that block PAT. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into that. And, and so, you know, kind of give your listeners a little inside. So that game was supposed to be played in September and, and we would have got them early in the season. Uh, we had just come off uh, playing Nebraska. So they pushed that game. I, I remember walking to coach Bowers office on Tuesday or Monday that week. And he says, Hey Luke, Cal ain't coming. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, they're not coming. I said, the hurricane's going to Alabama. I know they're not coming. And so they didn't come. So we pushed that game back. And that game was actually like conference championship weekend. It was a Saturday night, first uh, Saturday of December. ESPN brought all the toys, man. That's that's where the Sky Cam, like that was the season the Sky Cam was kind of brought on. And the day before, we went up in the production trailer when everybody else was meeting, you know, and, and, and saw the joystick and how they operated it. <clears throat> and so this is BC – this is BC era, era right? Mm-hmm. So Texas is right behind Cal in the BCS standings. Winner, you know, whoever gets that goes to Rose Bowl. So we show up, you know, after Eagle Walk, and there was like Texas dudes, like all around, and we didn't know who they were. And so on on the sideline, like first row up, second row up on the home side, were all these Texas guys, and they were yelling at us and cheering for us. Turns out it was like the entire Texas like manager staff, like all the student managers. Oh wow! And this is hilarious. Before the game, we weren't in there, but they went in and they got like John Eubanks' helmet. They got Michael Bowley's helmet. They got Dustin Allman's helmet. And I think they like prayed over their helmets. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> it was like so. I don't know what they were doing, but you know, you'd have a good play and they would scream. So uh, it was a tight game. Of course, Aaron Rodgers is a Heisman finalist that year. Marshawn Lynch, JJ Arrington on that team. John Eubanks gets a, a, a punt uh, return down to like the 20 with about five minutes left. It's 17 to 10. Dustin sneaks one in. It's 17 16. I run out on the field to hold. Darren McCaleb's two time All American. And he goes to kick, and I look up, and there's this like number nine because they had all white on that night. And he, he looks like he's about eight feet tall, and the ball hit him right in, right in his, his number. So Darren, great kicker, but not a very big dude. He. He runs and jumps on the guy and misses him. And so it's just that guy, me, in the open field. So I take off. And um, guys, for about for about 50 yards, it, it was it was a – I caught up with the guy. Yeah. And I got within probably like three yards of him, and it just stayed three yards. I didn't know it, but Wayne Hardy is coming from the right. Great linebacker and fullback we had. He was my, my searchlight on, on the punt team. And what happened was I ran a little to the right because it was a, a cow bear there, and I cut Wayne off. Because I, after about 50 yards, dude, my body was just like, stop, quit. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but you can't run anymore. <laughs> and uh, and so I got to about the 20 and just had to give up the ghost, and I cut Wayne off and didn't realize it. And so they ended up getting two points, you know, and later winning that. And Wayne got on to me later. He said, why did you run in front of me? Because he, he, he finally tripped him up on the three-yard line. But, yeah, I mean, going back and looking at it, it was it was a that, – that play is probably – people remember that play probably more than any other play I was involved in. And so a long way to answer those, those, that question from those two listeners. But, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. It's like, oh, wow, this is really happening. You have to do something. Right, you know, outside of what you normally do, man. It was a. If you guys were there, you remember it was an unbelievable night for Southern Miss football. Oh yeah, I remember it was. That was one of the most packed and the best energy I've seen at the Rock in a 
in a long time. So that was one of the that's one of the highlights to me as far as games at the Rock. Uh, so I got the next two listener questions. Uh, one of them came from Austin Spites. Now Austin's a buddy of mine who he student coached with me at at a school I coached at, Luke. And Austin was a former kicker, and he said, make sure he explains that punters are people too, once you already said that, and that kickers aren't weird. And there's kind of a backstory to that, Luke. You know, like I said, I I coached high school football, and at that point in time, I had coached several kickers that were just a little different. You know, they just, they were very superstitious. They did their own thing. They were just a little different, and one of the kickers said something to me one day at practice. I'm pretty sure I just told him, hey, man, go over there and just kick and leave me alone or something. And I looked at Austin and was like, man, kickers are so weird. And Austin was like, I was a kicker. And I said, you're not helping your case. <laughs> and, and so, you know, he, he said, make sure he explains that kickers aren't weird. So, and then he actually had a question for you here, too. He said, what made him decide to come to USM? Uh, what was it like coming from West Jones to USM? And also, what's the transition from Mississippi high school football to D1 like? Uh, so I guess we can unpack this. There's, se- there's a comment and then several questions there. We can unpack that however you want to, Luke. Yeah, I mean, coming from West Jones to, to Southern Miss, you know, just a 30-minute drive. And so, you know, there were several weekends you come home, your mom washes uh, your clothes and stuff. As far as like a practice, so what's what's funny, and there's other guys that have been at West Jones and have said the same thing. When you know, when you play for Mike Taylor and you're accustomed to like three and a half to four hour practices, like two hours and fifteen minutes seems like a breeze. And you know, you're you're probably the longest we ever went under Coach Bauer, you know, full pad practice, two and a half hours. But you know, as far as like some of some of that, the practice stuff, practice would seem to like go, you know, you know, quite quite fast. And I mean, the the type of football we played at West Jones, I mean, it was intense and physical. And so, you know, even as um, you know, even as a specialist, um, college football does go to the next level in strength and conditioning. But you know, some of these guys, you know that that we uh, we coach with, we coach Blackledge and some of those guys at, at West Jones Lane and. I felt like they really prepared me um, in, in a lot of ways where the transition re- wasn't really that big of a deal. Now, where the transition is is that, you know, it it's it's a man's game. I mean, at, at a different level. I mean, this is this is the highest level of, of college football. Um, the first two years, because I redshirted, and then um, I, I backed up Mark Holman my, my redshirt freshman year. I can remember – my first game playing was at Cal um, at Berkeley to start 2003. Um, Aaron Rodgers was actually on the bench that entire game, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember, I remember getting out there and saying, "Wow, it's the same game, but man, it's fast! It's just so much faster." And the guys that play D1 and then they go to the NFL, they they say the same thing. I mean, it's D1, but it's so much faster, and that's that's probably the biggest thing about it was it was just like the everybody's bigger, everybody's faster, everybody's better. And I I think the average person that doesn't experience the college game doesn't realize like 
a four four forty is like a four four forty. Everybody <laughs> in high school may say they run that, but they don't. I mean, we had a guy, John Eubanks. I mean, he ran a four three. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I think they actually one time got J- Jasper Falk on a laser four two, wow. and you you just don't run that, you know, in, in high school. So, but but I feel like Wes Jones, um, you know, as far as what Coach Taylor did, I feel it really prepared me. Absolutely. Yeah, they've they've been fortunate over there. Like like Luke mentioned, we both are West Jones guys. That's actually where I know Luke from. Went to church together and you were a few years older than me. We didn't actually go to high school together. We went to the same high school within the same, you know, I guess decade of each other. But uh they've been fortunate there to have a bunch of good coaches that have prepped a lot of kids to go on to the next level. And there's a bunch of schools in Mississippi that can brag on that too. Um, so the next one came from Katie Welch. You're actually playing her in fantasy baseball this week, Luke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good girl, Katie Welch. Good friend. She, uh, yeah, she actually made a comment about fantasy baseball and then was like, well, you might better not say that. So I'm going against her w- wishes there, <laughs> but, uh, she may have been begging for mercy, may or may not have been begging for mercy from you this week. But, um, all right. So she asked, what was your frame of mind? during that game where you proposed to your wife on the field after obviously you, your wife is Lauren. What, uh, what was your frame of mind throughout that entire game knowing you were proposing after the game? So I told you a little bit about the proposal. So we were actually supposed to do it the week before. So I I got the ring in like, you know, early November and we're playing Memphis at home. It's Saturday night. It's cold. Uh, A lot of people, Everybody really but Lauren knew that I was proposing. And we had it set up. They were, you know, as soon as the game was over. And, dude, I'm like, Gostowski was kicking for Memphis. They had another guy named Michael Gibson who was their punter. They'd been talking smack to us all week because Darren and I were like, uh, we're, you know, we're like one and two with them in the conference. We needed it. They had D'Angelo Williams, and it was going to be a huge game at home. I went out that night. I had like a 48-yard average. I hit like five touchbacks. and I even completed a pass. And so it's neck and neck. I kick a, an onside kick with 50 seconds to go, and we don't get it. And so, you know, I got a couple people coming up to me from the, the athletic department. What do you want to do? And I said, we got to scrap this thing. I'm not about to propose. I mean, we saw it earlier last year, Florida State, you know, they got drilled. They got beat by Jacksonville, and that dude proposed. So I said, I said, guys, we got to scrap this. And so we killed it on the fly. And, you know, Lauren thankfully never knew. And so, like, the entire week leading up to the two-lane game, the next week, all my teammates were like, dude, what's going to happen if we lose this game? I was like, well, she's not getting a ring. So, later on, Coach Bauer was joking. I think a couple <laughs> weeks later, he's like, we were, we all felt like this pressure. Like, we all felt like if, if we don't win, you know, Luke doesn't propose. Luke's not and getting so, married. <laughs> yeah. So, everybody, you know, kind of. And uh, so, before that game, Dustin Allman, it was senior day. Dustin Allman gets us all. Me and the Cully twins and Eubanks and Terrence Ford and um, a lot of those guys in circles up and you know we're, we determined we're going to win it you know for each other and and so um, we had a guy named named Sean he was a great athletic trainer all the athletic trainers wore fanny packs and he had the ring in its case in a cardboard sleeve and he stuck it in his fanny pack. And he had it in his fanny pack beside his athletic tape the entire game. He'd run out on the field during timeouts and and uh, and quarter breaks and all during the game. Hey man, how's the ring? Oh, I got it, bro. I'm good. I, I 
And so, you know, we had a great game. Uh, I think we, we kicked a bunch of field goals, and, and I had a good game punting. But, yeah, I mean, it was like that whole game. The game was never in doubt. So the frame of mind was like, we're about to pull this off. But going into it, it was like, dude, if we lose this game, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because we were 5-5. Five and five. We weren't going to go to a ball game. And uh, I would have proposed somehow. But, but yeah, that ring stayed in, in Sean's fanny pack the entire football game until That's it was hilarious. needed. Did you bug Sean the whole game? I feel like I would have. Well, I mean, he kind of felt obligated to stay near me. Yeah. Since there was like a, you know, at least over a thousand, two thousand dollar ring in his fanny pack. So, <laughs> I, and I feel and like I would have uh, been like, show me the ring every quarter, you know, something like that. If, if you uh, ever need medical treatment, you can go to Sandersville, Mississippi to East Jones Family Medicine. There's a nurse practitioner there that wears that ring every day. Her name's Lauren Johnson. So, uh, if you want to see it in person, you can go up there. Nice. There you go. That wouldn't be creepy at all. A strange guy walking in. Hey, can I see your hand? Hey, we just want to see the ring. <laughs> we just want to see the ring. Hey, Luke told it's, us to. Yeah, it's forever endeared with Southern Miss football. <laughs> no doubt. All right. Well, uh, well, Luke Chuck's got some questions that he's got written up that he wants to ask you, and then I'll I'll come in afterwards. Yeah. Well, uh, Luke, uh, what would you say are the characteristics of a good punter or kicker? I mean, if you're asking the average fan, they would say they have to be some type of head case, um, which is not true. Lane, I think you wanted me to, to talk about this, just mention this and pass it. Before I got to Southern Miss, we had a kicker um, who will remain anonymous, and uh, he actually walked around sometimes with a backpack. And I was told in that backpack was a stuffed teddy bear that his girlfriend had given him. And if he didn't have that teddy bear with him on game day, he turned into like just like a mental case. Oh, wow. Nothing like that happened when Barefoot, McCaleb, and Johnson were playing at Southern Miss. But uh, I feel like kickers I, are like relief pitchers in baseball. They all have to have a little crazy somewhere. We we got our we have our fetishes, okay? Like <laughs> you know, and and part of that too is that you're only doing one thing, and you have to. We got told early on. You know, there are no second downs in the kicking game, which is absolutely true. Ba Coach Bauer used to tell us, he said, offense sells tickets, defense wins games, special teams wins championships. So if you do one thing well, that's that, like that's my entire job. Like Dustin's got to, you know, call the call play, throw mm -hmm. a pass, read a defense, have a good fake. But, like, all I'm doing is that one thing. So you've got to have somebody that's committed to, like, technique. You, you just don't, you know – uh, just kind of do something halfway and pull something out of your, your back pocket. You get, you know, you get lucky occasionally, but they have to be committed to consistency and they have to be committed to like hard work. Um, I was probably a much better kicker than I was a punter, but like they told me early on, like this is your way on the field. And um, so they have to be teachable um, and they have to be like self-correcting. So, uh, punting is a lot like golf. Um, you got to do the same thing every time, and you got to know how to correct it. And I mean, you can say also like like a pitcher. Some days you don't have your best stuff, and you gotta you gotta make it happen. So teachable, um, humble in a sense where they can take correction, and just be you know doggone committed to doing the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, man. I like that a lot. Uh, I feel like Southern Miss had a pretty decent um, punter named Ray Guy at one point. 
Uh, did he ever kind of give you advice or, or give you some coaching throughout your playing time there? So, yeah, you all, people always ask, um, yeah, so how, you know, how, how good are you? How, where, where do you go down in, you know, Southern Miss lore? I was like, well, I'm, I'm second all time in punting average, but there is a guy who is <laughs> ahead of me, you know, and, and uh, I think a couple yards ahead of me. So, so Ray was still in Georgia when I played. Okay. Um, and so I didn't get to interact with him when he was still in Hattiesburg before he was in Georgia or after he, he, he came back a little bit, you know, and, and was around some and, and, um, the one time that I met Ray guy, uh, well, the first time I met Ray guy, they were retiring his Jersey against Cincinnati 2004. And we were hyped that game. Uh, I think we were, we had been ranked and they just beat the brakes off of us. And it was right before halftime, and I got a punt partially blocked, and I ran to the sideline and saw Ray Guy and his family, and I intentionally avoided them because <laughs> I felt shamed to talk to Ray Guy after I had a punt partially blocked. And uh, we met a couple years later, and, and I introduced myself to him. So, oh, I know who you are, and I felt like the opposite. I didn't feel shame then. Right. But, but, yeah, I mean, the, there were punters before me and after me that got to interact with him a lot, and, uh, you know, and as far as – you know, just watching the the craft and, and man, what a, a lot of people think that punting was probably the second or third best thing that he did in his athletic repertoire. I mean, what a, what a legend. Absolutely. He was a, he was a baseball player when he was here too. So Very led good. the nation in interceptions and Rick Cleveland uh, says that uh, he was with him at Van Hook when he, when he shot his first golf round, I think he shot like an 88 the first time he ever played golf. Nice. His first, his first. Rick Cleveland told me that his first drive, he hit a he hit a three wood at Van Hook and hit it like almost he hit like two ninety. And wow. dude had like a ninety mile fastball and just amazing athlete, no doubt. Well, man, everything kind of going on in the nation here, and you, you may or may not want to talk of this, but I wanted to give you a shot to uh, to do it if you wanted to. Did I read correctly that you you were adopted? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Awesome, man. That's 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 a great story, brother. I appreciate you know your parents. Yeah, I was like um, I was born in New Orleans. Uh, don't know much, and, and this yeah. is pretty cool. I, I know I'm rambling here, but Louisiana just passed a law where you can actually uh, ask for your original birth certificate because I had a closed adoption, so I don't know who my uh, my birth parents are. Yeah. I know a little bit about my mom, but my 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 adopted parents, Joe and Jean Johnson, who I never think anything other than Absolutely. mom and dad. You forget Absolutely. you're adopted half the time. Uh, yeah, they adopted me about a month after I was born in 83 and, and brought me to, to Laurel. Laurel, I, I appreciate that. Shout out that, to Joe awesome. and Gene Johnson, For too, real. by the way. I, I love Luke Johnson. If you've never <laughs> met Joe and Gene Johnson, guys, you are missing out. If you get a chance to, you need to go meet. They're great. The, the Joe Johnson who just raised – he'd beat me if he heard me saying this – raised his Eagle Club level. And has now tickets on the forty yard line for football. Nice. There you go. Just finished up being a, a baseball season ticket holder. So listeners, be like my dad. Go buy season tickets. Oh yeah. Absolutely. We, they're no good doubt. as hey, gold, can, can, I, can I go back and tell y'all a quick Ray Guy story or mentioning Ray Guy? Absolutely, bro. So so my my senior spring, um just finished up my junior season, rolling into spring. Uh I'm getting some kind of academic athletic award at a basketball game. And so Coach Bauer and I are sitting there because he's got to walk out on the floor with me. So we're sitting there, you know, shooting the bull. And I go, hey, Coach, 
you know, this is my last spring. And uh, can I just, like, go out with a different position? You know, I'll work on my punting, obviously, but, you know, can I just go out and practice with somebody? And he goes, all right. He goes, what position? And I, I said, well, you know, you, you, you know, I played quarterback in high school. And I said, you know, Ray Guy was the emergency quarterback for the Raiders. And Coach Bauer looks at me and pauses. And he goes, yeah, Luke, but Ray Guy was an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then he realizes what he's, he realizes what he said. And he stopped. He goes, no, 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 I, I, I didn't, I didn't mean it like that. I, you know, I, I didn't mean it like that at all. I said, man, I got exactly what you did, but he let me, he let me throw the ball a few times, but yeah, uh, Luke Ray Guy was an athlete too. So that was, uh, that's, that's the Ray Guy comparison that I have from Jeff Bauer. That's Can I awesome, steal a man. question here, Chuck? Luke, I know you threw some passes. You had a pretty solid completion percentage, didn't you, if I remember correctly? Yeah, I, I fake punts. Uh, I think I was like two or three, and then I dropped a snap on a PAT against Central Florida and rolled out and, and threw a two-point conversion to, uh, I think it was the Petey Causey. Um, but, yeah, one the first one I ever threw, we were at Bama. And uh, we had a we had a call called Green, and, and what Green was, it was kind of like a uh, underthrown back shoulder fade route where the gunner would just run down the field about 17, 18 yards, and you would purposely underthrow it where he would come back to it because uh, if, you know, the cornerback on the, on the other squad tried to break it up, you'd probably get a P.I. call. Um, and so we had had a, a rough game on special teams. I had dropped a snap, and they had blocked one. And so Bauer didn't – Coach Bauer didn't say anything. I got to, like, the hash, and he starts yelling, green, green, green. So we didn't even, like, have time to think about it. That's probably why we completed it. Um, but, yeah, every every pass I threw on punts was uh, kind of an underthrown, you know, fade. But, but yeah, the two-point conversion against Central Florida was fun. So you came in cold and had to throw a fade ball. That, I guess if you had warmed up, they would have seen it. But <laughs> This is a complete joke, but I probably threw more passes at Southern Miss than I ever threw at Wes Jones as the starting quarterback. And Lane knows that to be true as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, 2005 was your senior year, right? Yep. Yep. So the, the Gulf Coast is rocked by Hurricane Katrina. You know, classes and all on-campus activities were suspended. And we didn't we didn't have any idea when we'd be back on. Um, so I believe Bauer loaded y'all up and took y'all up north to Memphis. So this is kind of a two-part question. You know, everybody that knows you knows that you're a family guy um, then and now. So, one, how hard was it to leave your family and community during, you know, kind of all the chaos? And, two, what was it like to see Memphis open their facilities, practice fields, ultimately their home for you guys? Yeah, so we thought Hurricane Katrina was maybe going to hit at night, and so a bunch of us – went and, and got in the middle of the Duff Center, and, and we actually slept that night in the uh, in the team meeting room. And then it, nothing really hit, so that next morning we went back to our to our apartments. I was staying out on Highway 49, and so that's where we kind of rode the storm out. Um, they gathered us up because I think you may remember this also. They were, they were like boiling hot dogs outside the commons for the students on campus, and mm-hmm. they were trying to feed us. Um, cause there wasn't any power anywhere. So we actually, they told us they were getting a plan together about what to do. So we actually went home for like two days. We were in Hattiesburg for like two days. I think we all took baths in like the, the apartment complex, like pool. And they sent us home. So Jonathan Palmer, who's a tight end, 
he, he went home with me and we helped my dad in the yard for a couple of days. And then they, we went to Memphis and you kind of felt, I, I remember we stopped North of Jackson and ate at a Western sizzling. And it was the first hot meal any of us had had in like five or six days. And I remember sitting there, it may have been Chris Clark, it may have been uh, Petey Causey, or one of the guys from near New Orleans. And I remember them, we were watching CNN, and he was like, man, that's my grandma's house. And, you know, everything's wow. flooded. And I think when we started seeing, like, what everybody else was going through, like, it, we, we felt a little, you know, we felt uh, a little guilty. And you didn't have cell phone service, you know, anywhere. Wow. Um, so we went to Memphis for 11 days. They, they postponed two-lane game, obviously. And we just got ready for Bama. And uh, so in the mornings we would go um, – we'd go to Memphis and we would eat in their cafeteria, three meals a day. Um, and we would just take over their uh, – I think Tommy West was a the coach there. Rip Shearer uh, – I don't know, no, Coach Shearer wasn't with us then. But Tommy West was there and he kind of opened the facility. And we would go in in the mornings. We would meet in their meeting rooms. Um, and then we'd hit practice. One of our guys, Justin Harris, forgot his helmet in Hattiesburg. So he practiced for like 10 days with a Memphis helmet on. It was really funny. Um, but, but what happened during that, Chuck, was we, we bonded. I think that's yeah. what allowed us, because if anybody goes and looks at the 2005 schedule, they'll like, oh, seven and five, whatever. We played like four games in the, on the road in a row that year. We played three games within like 11 days or 12 days. Wow. And we were we lost three games by a combined nine points, wow. and I think that that season would have been drastically different if we didn't bond like we did. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some great leaders that year, um, and so we felt rough, you know, leaving. At the same time, we felt like, in some ways, we were an inspiration for people back home. Absolutely. If anybody remembers that Bama game. You know, to start 05, Gerald McGrath gets a pick six early. Dustin hits Pirine with, with two. And we're up we're up 21-10 at Bama. We probably should have won that game. Pro throw catch. Uh, we're getting momentum in the second half. They turn the uh, the sprinklers on on us. All that jazz. You get it. We, we felt like we were an inspiration to South Mississippi and the Gulf region, you know, for, for people. Um, so, I mean, and, and I will always be thankful for what the University of Memphis did for us because they really, really served us. Uh, a team that, you know, they would beat us later in the season, but they didn't have to do that, and, and right. they did. That's awesome, absolutely, no doubt. So uh, was pro ball ever on your mind, or was it always – did you always think seminary was your next step? So January of, of 06, I started a master's degree at, at New Orleans, and halfway, you know, during that spring, you got pro day, and I remember talking to some professors and – and my seminary president and, you know, some, some mentors I trust and just trying to, you know, go through that process. What does it, what does that look like for me? Actually, um, there's, there's a guy in Ellisville named Rocky Purvis that has a great chicken restaurant in K rocks. And he's got a, mm-hmm. uh, a deer club up in uh, Jasper County. And I actually got away for about three days and just kind of fasted and prayed and walked around the deer camp and just kind of prayed through that. And, uh, you know, came out of that, saying it was it was I could pursue it. The Bears worked me out in Hattiesburg. Um and you know, I had I had a few other teams, you know, talk just a little bit. But when the draft rolled around, um I on on day two, I think starting at the end of the fourth round, started getting calls from Detroit. 
And uh, about the sixth round, they said, hey, we're not going to draft you, but we want to bring you in. And so, you know, how this works is as soon as – or the way it used to work. As soon as the seventh round's over, for about 30 minutes to an hour, you just get bombarded with, you know, offers, teams that are interested. Well, well Detroit had reached out, and uh, so they brought me in, and uh, still when NFL Europe was going on. So they, they bring you in, and a lot of guys were free agent signings, of course, with the draft picks. And then some of us were being evaluated for, like, where we stood with their roster and NFL Europe roster. So I came in. Matt Prater was uh, was my kicker. Um, so I got to got to know him, and, and that guy is just uh, – he's a freak, man. That guy still mm-hmm. doing it. You know, I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm, I'm 39 years old, and Prater's been doing it, you know, 17 years or whatever. And um, it was an incredible experience. Um, Chuck Prefer, uh, um, who was kind of a legend special teams coach, I remember bringing him to my office and saying, hey, we can't keep you, but you can make it in this league. You're good enough. You have the leg. You work on a couple things, you'll make it. And um, so, you know, coming on from Detroit, kind of reevaluating where I was. And, and uh, you know, about a month later, just kind of, you know, was kind of led to – I got my experience. I got to experience that, and now it's time to move on in life. And looking back on it, man, I got to I got to share with several dudes about the Lord in Detroit. And looking back on it, I think that was really God's plan. Like, he had me in a specific place to be able to talk to a couple dudes and at the same time getting experience rookie camp. So it was sweet. I would have loved to continue to do it, but there's, mm-hmm. you know, God had other plans for me, and so I'm thankful for that. No doubt, man. Absolutely. Uh, my last question, then I'll turn it over to Lane. Uh, was there a team that you hated to see on special teams more so than the others? <sighs> Not, I mean, my my sophomore year, because when you're looking, thinking about special teams, you're thinking about returners and rush. Um. We had John Eubanks. We had Marvin Young. So we really didn't, you know, who are we going to see better than those two? Um, mm-hmm. Alabama had a guy named Shad Williams that was pretty good. But, but my 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 sophomore year, the 2003 championship team. So take me out. I mean, I guess you can include me in this number since I was in a camp. But, but like nine of the eleven on the punt team went to the NFL. Wow. And so that that was that was the kind of dudes I had in front of me. Wow. And uh, basically, that entire like Rod Davis and that entire 2003 defense was my was my punt pro. the The only team I really like feared. Um, we we had some protection issues early on, and and we had to speed up our operation. But my senior year, we're playing at North Carolina State, and Mario Williams who was the number one draft pick. They had three D linemen that went first round that year: Manny Lawson and there was another guy I can't remember. But what they would do is they would take two of those guys and stack them on top of Steven Daigle, who's our long snapper. They put him in a gap and then they'd put the other one in the other a gap. So they literally had about 850 to 900 pounds, no form, just bull rushing a gap. And I think I punted 11 or 12 times that game. And I got two 15 yard penalties where they would clip me and I would fall. And I think I faked a couple uh, one of them at least, but I remember going into that game there is so much like ribeye beef in the A gaps, and they're just going. I mean, there's if if you're you know a 230 pound linebacker, but you know Mario Williams was six six two ninety, had like five percent fat, you know, on him, mm. and uh, that was really the only game I think that I was really really scared of. And I remember after the game walking up to that specimen and saying, "Yo, bro, good luck in the NFL because that's where you're headed." Yeah, no doubt. 
Oh, yeah. All right, All right Lane. It, it's your rodeo now, man. All right. Well, Luke, you've uh, you've played some of the most memorable games I can think of at the Rock. 2003, Nebraska, and number nine, TCU, and then an 04, Cal, number four, Cal. What was the most memorable atmosphere at the Rock that you remember during your time? Can you tell us about the game and about the atmosphere you remember, the most memorable atmosphere you had? It, it was probably, like, complete from start to finish. It was the TCU game. Um, the Nebraska game, you know, we didn't start off well. And I remember Timmy Blackwell ran one around the, the left side and scored. And it was an eruption because people had been kind of sitting on pins and needles. Um, but the one that we didn't win this, and I think a lot of people forget it because of that, it was the year before in 2002, and it was the last time that we ever played Louisville in Conference USA. I never got to play them as a starter because they were, like, on our rotation in 03 and 04, and then, you know, they went to the Big East in 05. But that that, that 2002 Thursday night game, it was in November. They had a big old left-handed quarterback named Dave Ragone. And that was when they had uh, – Eminem had just released, like, that Lose Yourself song. And so they had the Thundersticks, and that song was playing in, in pregame. And think think about – Think about the TCU game, um, and it was that was the atmosphere, and we lost it in overtime on a, on a missed field goal. I think I think a lot of people don't don't remember that game, um, but it was it was incredible. Um, the Cal game was was the same way, but but like start to finish, TCU, the loudest the Rock ever got, and a lot of people don't don't know this story. Um, so so second half, TCU's coming back, coming back, coming back, and we're up, and they got the momentum. On first down at the 20-yard line, they were uh, coming out of the end zone. Tyrell Nick signals in like a, a, a corner blitz. Like he sent like seven, I think, and he sent one of the corners. It was Greg Greg Brooks. So he signals it in, and Rod Davis, who's, who's middle linebacker, looks it back at Coach Nicks and like, no, I missed the signal. Give it to me again because he was like, there's no way we're bringing a corner like off the edge. But they did. And so, so Brooksy came, came uh, backside, blindside, and Nathan Stewart blitzed off from, from the wheel position and, uh, and kind of danced with the back, and Brooksy just hit him blindside. And a lot of people don't know that Rod, Rod thought he read the wrong play, but, but Tyrone wanted to bring them all. That is the loudest it ever got while I played at, MM, at, at Southern Miss at M.M. Roberts Stadium. That one moment when Brooks hit him, he fumbles it, and that was it. Like, we sealed it. And I remember running on the field, like, just screaming, jumping up and down. Like, we did it. Y- your helmets get lost in the crowd. And I think it took them about 15 minutes, but they finally got the uh, the field goal post down. And they and they carried them down, uh, carried them down 4th Street into the night. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember that. Did you did you help out any with tearing the goal post now? We just watched it. I mean, you know, I think after a while we were just like, please get the goal post now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean – you were taking it in because you couldn't on that end of the field, you couldn't move because there was just so much like everybody just, I mean, it was, it was electric. I mean, I I don't, I find it hard pressed that you could recreate that atmosphere, you know, at Southern Miss um, because we won a conference championship while upsetting the number eight team in the, in the nation. Oh yeah. 
Oh, yeah, it was a big moment for sure. One of the best moments in Southern Miss football history, in my opinion, if not the best. Um, all right, and then the next one will be this. Uh, so the era that you played in was the, the big mantra there was the anyone, anywhere, anytime. That was at least that's what people were saying, you know, and that was what was printed on the shirts and on the billboards and all that stuff. And that was what we saw as fans. And we felt like the team really kind of matched that saying. I felt like you played on some really chippy football teams back then that, you know, kind of walked out on the field with a chip on their shoulder of, of we are Southern Miss and we're about to, you know, if you don't know much about us before the game, you're going to know all about us after, you know, one of those deals. Is that what that culture and the atmosphere was like of those teams you were on? What was what was the culture like on the teams that you played on? Yeah, I mean, the, the culture was you always felt like you could win the game. I mean, my, my freshman year we beat Okie State. The next year we, we beat – the defending Big Ten champions, Illinois. We talked about the, the TCU game. We talked about the Nebraska game. Should have beat Cal. Um, we we had Bama, you know, in the second half, um, you know, my, my senior year. And, and, I mean, that was it. And it was because, you know, the, the mid to late 90s, what, what they did. And so you always had one guy who was passing down that DNA, like – we don't lose. Like, we have winning seasons. And and it was just because you never with, – with with Coach Bauer, it was never rah-rah. He treated you like a man. He gave you responsibility. And then because of those things, like, you expected to win. Um, and and you felt like any of those dudes every, – every one of those dudes felt like they had a chip on their shoulder. The guy that I'm playing doesn't respect me. The guy that I'm playing – overlook me in the recruiting process and I'm about to go show him who I am. That was the culture. Yeah. Absolutely. And did the coaches really tap into that? Like were the coaches able to play into that a lot too? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you just Derek Nix was a teammate and then he was a coach. And you saw what he went through. My my redshirt freshman year was when he had the, the liver issue and and you saw him like almost like there was a, a, a little time there, like, we didn't know if he was going to make it. And so then you see, like, Tyrone, you know, uh, fighting for his brother while he's coaching us. And and then you got, like, J-Hop on staff who just fought cancer. And then Coach Bowers just a few years removed from, from you know, losing Kristen. And it was like everybody on staff, like, like Bauer was never ashamed of you. Like, you felt like you were you were his son, and it, what it was like the first couple of years there, you were with coach. You were kind of scared of him, and then somewhere between your sophomore and junior season, you're like, "Man, this guy loves me, and this guy cares about me." And it, so when you left the program, you're like, "Man, I'd do anything for that guy." And so it was like the respect that they showed us that, and and we knew the battles that they had been through in their own life, and I mean, it was just a very like selfless program about what we're going to do. And I'm speaking that generally. Of course, there were some idiots here and there. But, like, coaches and players, we all felt like we were in it together. Right. That's awesome. All right. My next question is this. Punting in a packed stadium versus proposing in a packed stadium, which one were you most nervous for? (laughs) Uh, Probably for proposing because, if you know, you're punting, you don't have to – you don't have to look at anybody. You know, there were a few times punting where you just like, hey, you know, I'm the only one that has this ball. I'm 15 yards back. I can run around. 
I can throw it in the, you know, and of course you never act, act on those stupid thoughts, but definitely proposing because, um, yeah, I got to look at somebody while I'm doing that. Yeah. And they put a mic in your hand, didn't they? If I remember correctly. They did. Absolutely. They did. Yeah. I got you. And then, all right. So now I want to shift the focus a little bit to the, to, to your work in the ministry. Um, I guess to wrap us up here with your work in the ministry, tell us about, you know, you went on an off-season mission trip. I can't remember what year it was. You were in, you were at Southern. It might have been your senior year. But you went on a mission trip one off-season. You left as a clean-shaven baby-faced guy and show up as a mountain man, uh, Duck Dynasty beard. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that mission trip and just – and then after that, just your ministry as a whole? Yeah, so um... – Going into my junior year, it was spring. Lloyd Lunsford was our was our BSU director. He just retired uh, after about forty years of ministry, but he was always you know talking to take Christ to the nations, take Christ to the nations. And so that spring, I, I kind of just got the nudge. One of my buddies was going to a, a West African country called Burkina Faso. It's the fourth poorest country in the world, and I just kind of got the nudge. Went home, read some scripture, and I was reading out of Luke fourteen, and and just felt kind of felt compelled to. To go, and so I remember sitting down in Coach Bauer's office, and said, "Hey, I need permission for what? I, I need to miss summer workouts and go to Africa." <laughs> and I was surprised that, like, his initial answer was like, "It wasn't no." I mean, he, you know, he, he trusted me at that point, and and he had just put me on full scholarship the, the semester earlier. And uh, so, yeah, I, I I took I took a USM football bag and deflated like eight footballs and took a hand pump. And uh, we were in we were in the bush in Africa. We were stayed at the school, and and uh, we would we would in the in the mornings until lunch we'd go out in the community and spend time with people and, and share the gospel and just hang out. And in the afternoons we do uh, teach Bible stories and sing with kids and hang out with kids. And and then occasionally I would inflate those footballs and I would punt out in front of this field, right in front of the school, and like just this dirt. And I remember one time I was trying to teach these kids to like retrieve punts and dude i launched one it was a laser turned over perfect and this this little about eight-year-old kid his arms were he was juggling in the air trying to trying to catch the ball and it dude it centered him right in his forehead and he fell down he was okay <laughs> thankfully but we all laughed so much oh, man. and uh so so when i got back I'd, I'd been gone about five six weeks and i had i had lost like 15 pounds so i think coach was happy with that but but uh yeah i had a huge beard that was another thing coach wouldn't let you have a beard and uh, I think he saw me, and, and uh, he's like, hey, good to see you back. All right, go shave that beard off. And so I said, <laughs> yes, sir. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was phenomenal. Um, it gave me a lot of perspective, especially coming back to play. Um, about, about my ministry as a whole, um, so we have a nonprofit called Valiant Call, and we, we partner with, with pastors um, primarily in India but in a few other countries and come alongside them and support them, encourage them. I've been going to India for over a decade and I, I kind of shared a, a few things earlier about it, but um, yeah, we're, we're just trying to, to come alongside guys, encourage them, support them and work with them in, in the ministries God called them to. So it, you know, sometimes I'll be in India multiple months. Um, it's slowed down a lot since COVID, but looking to go back this fall um, for a few weeks. So, so really, really excited about that. And then on top of that, I, I travel a lot and, uh, and, and preach and speak in different places. Very cool. Very cool. I, I, for one, I think I speak for Chuck too when I say we appreciate you 
listening to the call and answering the call, man. It's been, Amen. as a person who's known you, like, listeners, I have a picture somewhere. It's at my parents' house. Uh, there's a picture of me, and I'm like, I can't remember how old I am. I'm probably like 12 years old or something, maybe younger. And I'm standing on the field with Luke. I think it was your freshman year at Southern Miss. I took a picture with you on the field. And, like, you know, just dating back to that, like, you know, just knowing you, it's not a surprise you answered the call, but it's been just fun as a, I guess, as a friend, you know, to, to sit yeah. back and see see all the things you've done for the kingdom, man. That's been awesome. So I appreciate that, man. It's been a great ride, and you know, there's a lot lot left to do. It's never, it's always uh, got got more to do, man. There's, there's 3.5 billion people have never heard, so uh, that's what we're all trying to trying to uh, make sure we shine the light across the world. I appreciate that. Awesome. Awesome. For real. Well, Chuck, that's all the questions I had. All right, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for everything you do for Southern Miss and the Hattiesburg Laurel community. Um, we appreciate you more than you know, man. Um, if Luke, there, remind but... us what podcast you're on again. Yeah. So I'm, I co-host the uh, the Super Talk Eagle Hour. We are on uh, Super Talk Mississippi in Hattiesburg. It's uh, 97.3 FM, Laurel 99.3 FM. Also on the Super Talk on the coast and the Super Talk over in Macomb. Um, so that's every day from one to two. If if you don't get that that station, you can always tune in to uh, Super Talk Laurel or Super Talk Hattiesburg and stream it live. Or we're on all the uh, all the platforms. Um, Super Talk Eagle Hour and uh, yeah, we have fun. It's a daily daily show, and uh, able to get a lot of a lot of people on there. Uh, What's it like working with Sander? Um, I didn't know he worked, so I don't <laughs> know if that that's what that that's called. No, it, is that what that's he's, called? He's uh, he's fun. He's really fun. I, I'm a big and, fan. Uh, of never never afraid to say anything. But yeah, Bob right. Getty, uh, Kelly Sander, and I co-host that, and and so we're we're th- and I would I would say this because I, I say, I've said this to other. Southern Miss podcast. We are thankful for you guys. And I've always, you know, we're, we're different because we started on radio and, and we're a daily show, but any and all coverage of Southern Miss we want. And so I hope people understand that it, it's an honor to be on your podcast because whether, no matter who it is, and, and there's been several that have, have come about in the last several years and, and do a great job. We are all in this together to promote mm-hmm. Southern Miss athletics and to cover student athletes, you know, and the coaches. And so I like the angle y'all are taking on yours and, and I'm thankful for it. Absolutely. And listeners, look, Luke, he helped me out a lot in terms of getting, you know, I mean, really this, this podcast came from, it came from Chuck and Blake. They, they were the originators of it, but uh, you know, we were getting ready to reboot this thing this year. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with Luke about just podcast stuff. And, guys, he, he means it whenever he says it. He's been a helpful resource to have. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're all on the same team. We all wear black and gold every game. Black and gold. You know, we're, we're not trying to compete with each other. We we want to coexist with each other and support our school. So we, we definitely support that. Support your podcast, too, Luke. And want to check it out. I appreciate that. I appreciate Absolutely. that. So, well, thanks so much, Luke. We appreciate you. Um, God's tune in next time. We'll have another killer guest, I'm sure. And as always, Southern Miss. To the top. To the top. top.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Everyday Eagles podcast. For Southern Miss fans, by Southern Miss fans. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit everydayeaglespodcast.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Everyday Eagles Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on the Everyday Eagles Podcast. Touchdown!